Just a little bit of uh, quick admin. If you've, this is your first time here, there's a full book here with uh, all three lessons in it. This is our third lesson tonight, actually. And so you can pick up lesson number three if you haven't. If you missed lesson number two, so you have in your book lesson one, pick up both two and three. Hallelujah. Okay. Okay. In your, you should have. Uh, if you were here for the first one. Okay, then two and three are here. Two and th- yep, you got it. We're on lesson number three. Last week was. Uh, YWAM Boston, that was awesome, great to have them here with us, 32 of them, that was a wonderful night. All right, everybody equipped administratively, all right, praise God. Hey, Miss Addie, welcome back, we missed Miss Addie. You got a book, did you bring it with you? That's okay, we'll loan you, I, I know... I know oh where you God. live. That's all right. <laughs> all right. Hallelujah. Mm. Everybody get to watch the president's speech last night? I enjoyed that. I know some didn't, but praise God, I did. Anyway. I like what, uh, I think it was Schumer said, uh, is probably the most, he's been 30 years, I think he said, in the Senate, and... Uh, He's never seen a more conservative agenda from any president in his history. That's pretty amazing. That's, that's, that's wild, right? Praise God. Uh, all right, now I don't get off the subject here. I'm excited about what he's doing. Um, let, me, let me start with um, how many of you have ever questioned God's goodness in the midst of your trial, honestly? All you other saints can <laughs> equip us. No, okay. Um, if you've ever read the Psalms, David had the same issue <laughs> over and over. God, how long are you going to let these guys do this? And they lie about me and they do this about me. And how long are you going to let them surround me? And, and he just, he goes on. I just like David's honesty. It's good. Um, God can handle that. Have any of you in your times of witnessing had... Sounds like a Cobra helicopter incoming. <laughs> All right. Um, so how many in your time of either witnessing um, to someone, they would say, why would God let this happen to me? If God's good, you know, why, why doesn't he just stop this from happening? Ever any, ever any walk there? Like, God, I don't, yeah. Um, in fact, one of the critical complaints um, is that if God's all-powerful and all-knowing, then why doesn't he fix this? And so how would you answer that? If someone came to you and said, look, you tell me God's powerful and knowing and he's good, therefore what's happening right now is not good. It could be on the national level, it could be on the international level, or it could be at a personal level. So how do you answer that?
I usually say we weren't made as puppets and that we have a choice. He made okay, us that we way. have a choice. We're, so we're not puppets, we're, we have a choice. Um, well, how do you explain mudslides, earthquakes, tornadoes? Um, how do you explain that? I believe that uh, the, uh, the answer is curses. There's curses on this world because of the, from the very beginning when Adam and Eve sinned. And it's just okay. progressed. So we're, we're living in a fallen world, and as a result of the fall, because in the garden there seemed to be complete peace, right? There wasn't any hassle going on. Um, and since that time, things have gotten progressively worse, even to the day of Noah. And then he said, I'm done with this. And there was only one righteous man. And there was a righteous blessing that collaterally went to the Noah and the sons, and they were the, rest the restart, right? Okay, so one, we're not robots. We're, we're people that were given free will, so we can choose. And things that happen in the earth, um, do you think everything's by curse, or there's some other random things that just... No what, Miss Addie? It's not all a curse. Okay. All right. Yep. Go ahead, Renee. We'll get it. to us. Things are going to happen collectively. But it also said all things work together for the good of those that love the Lord. And I've learned down through the years that some things I brought on myself and, it, and I went through. But some things just happen. Because like he said, we're in a fallen world and things are going to happen. But when we're in Christ, somehow that thing is going to work together for your good. And God's got a way that's mighty sweet. I was just sharing with um, Mother tonight when I came how I'm just coming over being homeless. And you probably would look at me and say, how in the world? But when you make bad choices, you pay for them. And then you got to go through a process because God's got to teach you that you won't make that mistake no more. Mm -hmm. And the, 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 um, the best way to learn is to go through. We can be taught, mm -hmm. but it's something about going through. Suffering for making bad choices. Okay, that's good. So there, there are consequences to the choices we make that end up getting us in a, if you like it, the woodshed. And then we learn something from the woodshed, right? All right, wow, we get, whew, glory to God, we're coming. I'm coming, Mike. You got, hang on. I believe that some of the choices that we make can bring um, abomination to the nations. And not only does it affect, bring um, abomination, damnation on us, but it brings it on the whole nation by the choices that we make. Okay. Um, can you think of something that might be contrary to God's will in our nation that might bring consequences on us? Homosexuality and abortion. I just heard those two. Those are contrary to the word of God. Okay. Um, all right. Oof. Oh, glory to God. This is good. Um, we also have an enemy of this world that uh, is against God's people. Yeah. And what's the scripture on that one? John 10.10, 10, he's come to kill, steal, and destroy, right? So there is an enemy that's come to do us in. Yeah, I was going to say uh, Psalm 30, I think it is. It says, uh, he made my mountain stand strong uh, so that I uh, would learn to trust him. And um, then he goes on to say that. Hold it up closer. He, he also says... Um, 
the sorrow lasts for the night, but joy comes in the morning. So uh, I, th- I think sometimes we, um, we're more like we appreciate the, the joy and the goodness of God more uh, after we go through the sadness and the sorrow. Because he also says, I think in Romans or somewhere, Paul says, if we suffer with him, we'll also reign with him. That's good. It's kind of like if you've been without, Paul says, I've, I've learned to be without and within, you know, with much and with little. I think that if God fixed everything and we didn't have to endure, we would take God for granted. Mm. I think that being that you go through things and you come out on the other side of it, either a better person or in good shape, that you know that God is real. Yeah. Yeah. I'll get, all right. You know, he told his disciples. Hold it right on your chin. He told us we need to pick up the cross and follow after him. And he says, I don't want you to just wear the cross but I want you to carry. So that means, he said, arm yourself likewise the things I've suffered and you suffer too. Yeah. So when we understand that, we know suffering brings on humbleness. Yeah. Amen. So, you know, let's be rejoice and trust him in whatever you fall, whatever you fall into, knowing yeah. he's going to bring us out. Amen. And John 16, 33 says, take, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And in James, it talks about count it all as joy. So he can give us joy no matter what we go through. Okay, how many of you have counted it as joy when you've been in the middle of it? Come on now. This, you're in church. You've got to tell the truth. <laughs> right? <laughs> you can grow into it. I like that. Back in 1997 or so, um, my husband became, ex-husband became um, unemployed and didn't know it was coming. We had just built a new house. We lost that new house, and we went on to move to Florida for a little while. Um, Couldn't make it there and came back to Wisconsin, and his family turned their back on us. We ended up in a homeless shelter for about eight weeks and with four kids and a dog. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. But the lessons we learned during that time, never getting down to the very last dime in our pocket, there was always somebody or something that met our needs, and we could see that it was through God. And I still look back on that time, and my children still look back on that time, as having blessings even in the midst of the troubles and having joy even during that time. Yeah. Well, that's the learning to trust God even in the midst of it. Yeah. That's, yeah. But he suffered. You guys are doing really good here. All right. Praise God. I think you've been through some stuff. Um, I want to read this this morning. You know, I'm getting ready. First of all, I've, I've been, uh, the Lord has a way of letting me live these things before I preach them. And so this morning I was having one of those days, and so I grabbed the Charisma magazine that came in the other day, and, and uh, I opened it, and uh, it's Joyce Myers. It says, Trusting God when life isn't fair. 
Let me just uh, highlight some of her stuff. God can restore everything that we've lost through injustice. Remember, he's a God of justice. We kind of, my, my tendency, I think, at times in counseling with people in my own experiences, that uh, first of all, when we're going through that event, we think it is the worst event. It is your event, and it's really bad. But it may not be as bad as somebody else's bad, but that doesn't matter. It's bad, right? Right? And so, um, and life isn't fair. It's just not fair. And the sooner we get to the reality of, there are going to be things that just are not fair. And uh, you can try to find out why and what, and the reality is, but there's a God of justice who says, I know how to repay. We as human live in a finite thing like, we, all, we got this time, this needs to get fixed now. Well, what if you got all eternity for God to pay it back? It'd be all right. And so Joyce Myers, she's, she's just been through a lot. She's got quite a testimony, but she says, trust in God when life isn't fair. God can restore everything we've lost through injustices. In this world, so many things are not right, and you don't have to look too far to find some kind of injustice. But one of the things I love most about God is that he's a God of justice, and he makes the wrong things right. 1 Peter 2.23 in the Amplified says, when Jesus was reviled and insulted, he did not revile or insult in return. While suffering, he made no threats of vengeance, but kept trusting, entrusting himself to the one who judges fairly. When we're being mistreated or enduring something difficult, it's easy to want to make, take matters in our own hands. However, the best thing we can do is trust God as our vindicator. Many people are, are used to trusting God for things, for a raise, better health, the next great thing that he would like to do in their lives. But God also wants us to trust him through the things. I've heard Miss Addie say that over and over again. Let me just pause there for a minute. You probably heard this um, in the example of the, th the three Hebrew boys in the fire, right? They had, a, they had a choice. They could bow, and they would be released from the fire by the king, or they could go into the fire, and if they don't get delivered, they don't get delivered. So you're either going to be delivered from the fires, you're going to be delivered in the fire, or you're going to end up in heaven and you're going to be delivered all the way. So in the end, the reality is if we get that truth down in the equipping part of our soul and spirit man, it's going to be all right. He can work all things together for good. But even if he doesn't work it all together, at the end of this thing, it's going to be all good. So that, that part of us, and again, this preach is real good, but the walking it out, putting the slippers on this one is the part we have to remind ourselves of in the midst of the fire trials. He said, so trusting him through things, when we're experiencing difficulties or when life just isn't working out the way we had hoped it would work out, trusting God allows us to enjoy our lives even when everything is not the way it's, we want it to be. Now, that's the joy of the Lord in the midst of the trial. And we're supposed to be joyful in all things. But honestly, we don't do real well that way all the time. Trusting God allows us to enjoy our lives in, that, in the process. And for instance, maybe you've worked harder than someone else in your job, and they receive the promotion and the pay raise. The coworker who doesn't seem to work as hard got the blessing. 
Years ago, she said, this happened to me, and I immediately thought, this is just not fair. I had a choice to make. I could choose to be angry, bitter towards the people that involved and try to vindicate myself, or I could choose to trust God to make the wrong things right, knowing he can pay me back when the injustice is done. I understand what it's like to have to make these choices, and it's never easy. For the first 23 years of my life, I endured a lot of painful experiences that left me bitter, resentful, and instantly blaming God and the other people. As a child, I was sexually abused by my father. My mother eventually found out, but fear prevented her from confronting the issue. So the abuse went on for years. When I turned 18, I married the first man who came along because I was convinced no other man could ever want me. But that ended up in divorce, and I discovered when he was cheating on me with other women, and then he was also involved in criminal activities. When we're hurt or mistreated, it's easy to have an attitude that says someone else owes me. For years, I tried to collect from people to get them to pay me back. Because men had hurt me, I found myself trying to make men pay. It affected every area of my life in a very destructive way. But through the study of the scripture, I discovered that God wants to be the vindicator. And he can restore everything that we've lost through injustice. Isaiah 61, 7 through 8 in the NIV says, Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of your disgrace, you'll rejoice in your inheritance. And so you'll inherit a double portion in your land. And everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. This is basically saying, if we trust God, he'll give us a double for our trouble. There's no person in truth that can ever pay you back for what you went through. Only God can. When I began trusting God as my vindicator, when I got my eyes off of everyone else and focused on him, it was truly amazing what began to happen in my life. God wants to do the same thing with us. And if someone mistreats you, refuse to stay mad at them and trust God to bring justice into your life. Anybody get an amen on that one? (laughs) It's Matthew 18, right? Somebody offends you, go probably, okay. You can't, in fact, if you refuse, right, Matthew 7 says, if you refuse to forgive, you won't be forgiven. So it just doesn't work, right? So whatever you've endured that doesn't seem fair, I want you to know you're not invisible to God. He sees you, and he knows exactly how much you can take, and he will deliver you at just the right time. He won't be a moment too late. I've also said, man, could you please hurry? (laughs) Remember God. Remember, God is the only one who can truly vindicate. He's the God of justice, and he can take what's wrong and make it right. Amen? Joyce Myers, she's something. All right, if you'll take a look at your outline, um, what I want to do is I want to look at the different types of suffering, and then I want to use the the biblical basis of how we uh, grasp these truths so that we can walk through them. Suffering is, on the top of the page there, this, I've had this asked to me a lot, suffering is one of the most frequently raised objections to Christian faith. By the way, most of the gods of this world that are worshipped, the Hindu gods that we've looked at in India with our guy, the guys that are there, uh, the Muslim god, there's no issue. He's just going to get you. He'll punish you. That He's not a god. They're not gods of love, so... 
Why would you think in any fashion? You got to give them sacrifices and you just got to. So there's a difference here in the Christian faith because we know that God is love. So therefore, if God is love, he's all powerful, all knowing. Why does he just make it okay now? That's one of the frequently asked questions. Glenn Chambers, a young New Yorker, had a lifelong dream. Listen to this. To be a missionary in Ecuador. As he was leaving, he wrote his mother a letter in the airport. He used a piece of paper that he came across in the airport terminal with Y, W-H-Y, written in the midst of it. He wrote his letter around the word Y. That night, he died in a plane crash. His mother received the note after learning of his death, and the question why burned up from the page. Suffering. The distribution and degree seems to be entirely random and therefore unfair. Globally, we see suffering on a global scale, natural disasters, earthquakes, famines, floods, wars. The communities, the Columbine tragedy, the school bus incidents. How about the... uh, the church shooting that just killed 26 people. Guy walks in randomly and just, that seems to be all random, just decided to go crazy. How about sickness or handicaps, broken relation, depression, unemployment, loneliness, death of loved ones? Suffering is not an issue for all religions. It's a problem for the Judeo-Christian one where we believe God is good and all-powerful. So let me ask this question, because this is one of the traps that I think we want to avoid as we try to minister to people. Um, Let's take the California, the recent events in California, mudslides, fires. Seems like randomly things, why why did the mudslide come down this place? Why did these homes get burned up? When someone says to you, well, they come to you, why did God let that happen? I think there's a danger if we say, well, just look at California. They deserve judgment, right? Not, not, you you might be tempted, right? But I don't believe that's what we want to, can anybody give me a scripture that Jesus used about random things that happened and what we should do about them? Any scripture come to mind? Well, let me have us pull it out here. Let's take a look at Luke 13. Luke chapter 13. And we'll begin in, let's look at uh, verse 1. So Luke 13, 1. About this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee. Remember? Pontius Pilate. So you got the, the, the political environment at that time is you had a Jewish governor. Pilate, you know, remember, they're under Roman rule. Something was going on. So they end up, Pilate has the soldiers to go out to Galilee while they were offering sacrifices at the temple. So they're in church, worshiping God. Sounds like one of the mass kind of challenges we've got going on today. 
Jesus asked this question. Do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all of the other people of Galilee? Jesus asked, is that why they suffered? Not at all. And you will perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. And what about the 18 people who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Were they worse sinners in Jerusalem? No. And I tell you again, that unless you repent, you will perish too. Does that satisfy you? (laughs) Let me be transparent for a minute, okay? Some of you remember a few years ago, the earthquake in Nepal. We had uh, six of our churches completely flattened. We had 215 of our global river Nepali believers die instantly in that earthquake. Whole villages, some of our Christians, they couldn't even find them. They were buried in landslides from the Himalayas. When I heard the announcement and I tried to get a hold of Pastor Prem to find out, are we okay? What's happened? Is the orphanage intact? Are you guys? I couldn't get through. The next day, he called me and he said, the orphanage is okay, but we're just still finding out we've lost some of our senior pastors. They were in church. Now listen, they were in church because they worship on Saturday. They were in church when the entire building collapsed. Our senior pastor, our associate pastor, and 115 believers in that church died instantly. When all that information was coming in, I got to tell you, I had an issue. I got alone with God. I said, God, I don't don't understand this at all. You're going to have to help me with this because... Why? Why couldn't you like put a bubble around our guys? And I opened to Luke chapter 13. And I'm like, and I felt the Holy Spirit said, so Tom, where do you think those folks are? They were in church, right? Yeah, but And then I heard him say, my ways are not your ways, and my ways are higher than your ways, so get over it. And here's what happened. Some of, George is here, one of our board members, he'll remember. We had seven years prior, someone gave us two acres of property over in Leland, right where the, now is, what is that big? growing complex over there. Help me. No, it's the... Oh, come on. Where the Walmart and all that area is? Okay, that's it. All right. So at that time, before that, there wasn't much going on over there. This person gave us the two... I took the deed. Right after that, the the market went right down. So I took the the gifted deed and I put it in the safe and said, oh, great, thank you. All right. Seven years later, just before the earthquake happened, like, I don't know, it was a month or so before, I get this call from this guy. He says, your two acres are connected with my other 10 acres. I got to have those. And by the way, I'll pay you twice what it's worth. We'll go do a market analysis. I'll pay you twice what it's worth. I said, wow. So I went to the board. I said, yeah, that's good. I said, wow. $200,000 came in on those two acres. 
When the board said, I said, we need to tithe on this board. I said, absolutely. And I said, look, there's growth going on in Nepal right now. We have to seize the moment because we don't know when that nation could close. Those indigenous pastors, we have to sow into this now. Let's take $20,000, 10% of that gift that God gave us, and let's sow it into Nepal. Yes, they said, yep. Two days later, the earthquake goes down. And I'm like, this person who'd been with me in Nepal, who loves Nepal, calls me up and says, my wife and I are going to donate $20,000 matching. If the congregation won't take their tithes and put it to it, during the month of May, this happened April 25th, during the month of May, if the congregation will give to the earthquake relief, we'll match up to $20,000. $13,000 came in from the congregation. The, the, the couple went ahead and matched it at $20,000 anyway. So then I'm sitting there with Okay, wow, 20,000, 40,000, 13,000. At that point, Pastor Prem called them and says, the government is overwhelmed. They can't fix anything. Even the, the Hindu congressmen that we administered to on the mountains of the Himalayas, they're under tremendous stress. There's no food, there's no water, the rainy season, there's no food, there's no tents, there's no, the rainy season's coming. Papa, can you send us maybe $5,000, we need to buy rice, it's coming in, we can buy, but they can't get it up there, but we can, these guys are in shape, they climb mountains, okay, we work out to get ready to go there, and, and you know, they do it all the time, and, and so they loaded up 70-pound packs of rice, and uh, food supplies, and tents, and raincoats, and they go up into these remote Hindu villages, and they say, and they're sitting there, the, the crops are destroyed, the families are sitting in the rain, and they start distributing, and they said, who did this? He says, our Christian family in the United States has sent it to you. Massive conversions. We had 26 churches planted that year, and we had 46 planted the next year. Over 100,000 believers came into the kingdom that may not have come into the kingdom. So his ways are higher than my ways. So I stopped complaining. I said, okay, God, I, I, I give up. You're a good God, and your ways are much higher and better. So I use that as an example uh, in my transparency of when we don't get it, we don't necessarily have to get it. Jesus, he doesn't make any excuses for what evil came from the Romans in church, just killing those people. Or what appeared to be some kind of faulty construction. It doesn't go into detail as why that tower fell down and killed them randomly. Jesus' response is, you better be ready at any time because you're no different than any of them. Which ultimately is probably a really good answer. <laughs> if you're ready to go all the time, you're ready to go all the time. Okay, let's, let's move on. If... C.S. Lewis, if you look at, um, there in number two, the, it says the Bible gives uh, really four insights into suffering. And you guys hit it. One is free choice. Human rebellion against God. We're promised again. We know in the garden there was no, there was no suffering going on in the garden. And we know in Revelation 21, it says there's going to be no tears, no more crying on that day. So when there's full restoration, we have the same promise that one day God's going to come back and 
the suffering that came in, I think it was uh, um, Doug said it, when rebellion came in, it brought a curse upon the land and upon, obviously, upon humankind. Free will. Love is not love if it's forced. And C.S. Lewis, I, I, I put this quote down, says, it would no doubt have been possible for God to remove by miracle the results of the first sin that was committed by humankind. But this would not have been much good unless he was prepared to remove the results of the second sin and the third and so on forever. If the miracle ceased, then sooner or later we might have reached our present lamentable situation. If they did not, then a world continually under the propped up and corrected by divine interference would have a world in which nothing important ever depended on human choice and in which choice itself would soon cease from the certainty that one of the apparent alternatives before you would lead to no results and was therefore not really an alternative. And he goes, look, we'll look at, you, you, I think most of these were hit on. One is, number three, suffering as a result of our own sin. What Renee said is, you make some bad choices, there are consequences to bad choices. I remember praying with someone um, had gotten pregnant out of wedlock. So why did God let this happen? I'm like, okay, how do I do this diplomatically? Um, or someone who contracts a disease. Or someone who starts drinking to excess and then becomes an alcoholic or drug addict. Those choices that open doors. Now, there may be God, the God of justice, knows some of the conditions that may have gotten you to that place of making that wrongful choice. He's a God of great mercy and justice. But there are consequences to our choices. And so we can blame God, but that's not very productive. Um, in fact, if you've ever been through the 12 steps, part of that is take responsibility. And then look at the reasons behind where you got there. Do reconciliation, going through forgiveness. And so those are steps to health and to, to freedom. So our own sin causes us to face some of the consequences. We know um, he uses the example, I think it's, it's in Hebrews, right? Uh, a child that's not disciplined is not a child at all. If you're loved by God, he's going he's gonna to discipline you, right? We, you've all got the examples of children, grandchildren, or you know, even those you've cared for. If, if they behave, they get blessed. If they don't, they don't get blessed, Right? It doesn't take a lot of rocket science there to say, hey, wow. But somehow we make this transition. That's not how God should operate with us. Really? Why did he give us family then? And kids. I mean, wow. Teenagers. Good Lord. Help me, Jesus. Just get them through it. Okay, so God actively judges sin in the life. And then he looks at cities. He looks at regions. We can see that Sodom and Gomorrah, you know the story there. That homosexual spirit that operated in that place, God said, I'm done with it, right? So there are regions that come under God's judgment. Um, it's wild. 
but I've, I haven't been there, but I'm told, anybody been to Haiti and seen the blessings and the cursings in Haiti? Anybody been there on that? I've, I've talked with missionaries who can. Um, Haiti, whose government is founded upon voodoo, right? They, 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 Satan is their government foundation. And they haven't seemed to have been too blessed, right? I, I don't know. Now, you, again, you could draw a correlation that might be dangerous, right? If you say, well, it goes back to the mudslides. Well, maybe, maybe they deserved it. I think we want to steer from that, but it's clear that God does bring the flood. He brought the flood to punish sin. He brought Sodom and Gomorrah because he was done with it. And then there's some individual stuff here uh, we could look at. How about, um, let's take a look at, let's turn to a scripture here. How about 2 Kings 5, um, 27? 2 Kings 5, 27. You remember the story of Gehazi? And 2 Kings chapter 5. It's at the bottom of page 1 there in verse 27. Just a little bit. Gehazi was the servant. And you remember when um, Nahum comes and Anyway, he gets healed of his skin disorder, and at that point, they want to, because there's such a blessing that took place in verse 22, 75 pounds of silver and, and sets of clothing. So Gehazi, the servant, he sees that kind of wealth, and, and greed just gets a hold of him. And so he deceptively goes after the, the Naaman and says, my master's changed his mind, basically, give me the stuff. So he gets it, and it's discovered that he has taken this money inappropriately and against his master's desires. So what happens is, verse 27, the very thing that Naaman had come with leprosy and been healed of, that curse then goes upon Gehazi. From that time on, you will suffer Naaman's leprosy forever. When Gehazi left the room, he was covered with leprosy and his skin was as white as snow. So there are, there are consequences to individual choices and then there are consequences that appears to cities, nations, and regions. But it's far from us to figure out which one God is working on right now, right? We do know that, um, remember when Israel's leadership, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, what curse did they call upon themselves? Yeah, the blood of your children shall let it be on us. And boy, if if anyone has suffered in the two thousand years from from Christ to now, it was the Jewish people for some of the consequences of that. Again, far be it from us to say, you know, you you killed Jesus, therefore you deserve this. No, we know from Romans. I'll probably preach on this a little bit Sunday in lesson number two on on Israel and the U.S series I'm going to be doing. So suffering, um, the purposes of that, number four, let's turn to the page, page two. How about suffering as a result of somebody else's sin? Jesus spoke about uh, not all suffering as the result of sin. Let's take a look at uh, John 9 for a moment. Let's turn there. John 9 and 1. 
and this I think helps us with don't be careful of what you think might be discernment might really be a critical judgment that we don't have wisdom of. <clears throat> there was a man who was born blind, chapter 9 of John, verse 1. Jesus was walking along and he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of the sin of his parents' sins? It was not because of the sin of his parents. Jesus answered, this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must carry, quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I'm here in the world, I am the light of the world. How does that make you feel that the blind person was born blind for the glory of God? Is that satisfying? Come on, be honest. Let me be transparent again, okay? I've had to wrestle with this. Um, some of you knew my brother Jeff. He passed away last year. Uh, Down syndrome. Um, as the oldest brother, he was my second brother. I have four, four, mom had four boys. You can tell why she has stamina <laughs> and some gray hair, just a little. Um, growing up, the accusations, the calling him retard, I got in more fistfights. Um, I remember living on uh, Round Swamp Road in Old Beth Page, and our neighbor next door, his name was Bobby Woods. He's, he's in heaven now, praise God. We, right. He and I had more fistfights because he said, that retard is not going to play ball with us. I said, none of the Hauser boys play ball then unless he plays. And we would get into it, and man, one fight after another. Bloody knows this, bloody knows that. Um, before Bobby died, he, he contacted me and asked for forgiveness on that. Then, my daughter Katie's not here. Then, um, when my daughter Katie was born and we found out she had a muscle disorder, born without a muscle group, and uh, the diagnosis of her, um, God and I had another one of those moments. My wife's in the closet crying her eyes out like, I don't know what I'm going to do, God. And I'm with God and I'm saying, you know, God, I don't really think this is fair. I had to grow up under this situation. I know the pain that this has. Um, this is really not fair. Again, you're going to have to tough it out. So the number of youth groups and churches, remember I told you I was in 12 different churches at a time. Katie is socially aware. If you ever talk to her, she's socially aware. But she was in New Hanover Special Ed under her IEP. So she's, with a, she's in a class where there are terribly disabled people. And they're not even mentally aware, but Katie's aware. And so she said, Dad, how come I can never have a boyfriend? How come I can't drive? How come I can't have these things? And, you know, we do our best in that. When she was 19, I, I remember vividly this day, Katie can't drive, so one of the opportunities we have is to drive her everywhere. And she's very social, right? If any of you know, she probably asks you to take her out to lunch pretty regularly. And so 
we were at the Rock Church. I didn't know anybody, but Katie was attending three youth groups. And she's, we're at the Rock Church, and uh, I don't know anybody, but I'm not going to drive 45 minutes up to the Rock Church at this birthday party with all of the youth group there, um, and then drive home, and then drive back up and get her. So I'm like, I'll just stay here. So they're there, and everybody's having a birthday party, and I'm the observer. And I finally said to Katie, Katie, can we, can we go, honey? She goes, Dad, I have to do something God's told me to do first. And she lined up these, I think my memory says 11 or 12, they were in the grass. She lined up 11 or 12 of these, as you've ever met Katie prophetically, and there's that moment where the little girl who loves chocolate shifts and the spirit's alive and well. And she starts reading their mail. Several of them fell out in the grass. And as I'm driving home, I said, I'm done complaining. Phil Walls, before he died, we used to joke and said, you know, we'll probably be assigned as the janitors in Katie's mansion. <laughs> and so I say all that, that the stuff that you're enduring and the stuff that doesn't seem fair, there's a God of justice. He's a God of justice. And he knows better than we know. And you do really well, I tell myself, to just be quiet about it. One of these days, I'll learn. Number four there, it says, warning, don't judge others' suffering as always being linked to personal sin. Church leader David Watson died of cancer at age 50, pointed out the dangers of making judgments on others. The danger about coupling suffering with sin is that the sick person may often feel guilty anyway. Many times I've talked with those who are seriously ill and have found them anxiously wondering what they have done to bring about this condition. They blame themselves, and they can't live with that. They project the guilt on others or on God. It's got to be someone, someone's fault. The trouble is that either feelings of guilt only encourage the sickness and hinders healing, and I've seen my cancer is punishment for past sin. The positive side is that Every affliction has caused me to search deeply within my heart to repent of every sinful action or attitude I could discover at the same time. The negative side of this comes when such a heart searching leads to nagging and unhealthy feelings of guilt and a poor image of God. We see Jesus healing the sick, forgiving a sinful world that God would say, oh, there's David Watson he slipped up rather badly last month, so I'll afflict him for the next 20 years or I'll destroy him with cancer. Such thoughts are not only ridiculous, they are almost blasphemous and utterly alien to a God of intimate love and mercy as we see him clearly in Jesus. Much of the suffering is the result of other people's sin. How about war, greed? When you um, analyze some of the stuff, and this one, would most of us agree that the formation of the state of Israel was a good thing for Jews? It's going to be really good for all of us <laughs> eventually at the end of this thing. But what, what got them there? I shared with you Sunday about the Balfour Declaration and the preparation of the Zionist movement that God put people in their right place at just the right moment for him to pull the string. But it wasn't until the Nazis came on the scene by the sin 
of that people group, my ancestry there, that we see that that shocked the world that caused the formation of the Jewish state. So it doesn't necessarily help the Holocaust victims, but then there's a God of justice. So I think we just need to be careful about pointing fingers without full revelation of what God might be really doing. Number five, they're suffering as a result of the fallen world. And this is, I think, part of the curse that Doug was talking about. We're, we're in this place. All creation has been affected by the rebellion. Creation was subject to frustration. Remember where it says in Romans 8, it says, all creation groans for the revelation or for the manifestation of the sons of God. And so the, these natural disasters and the result of the disorder in creation. So the original sin has brought this sin upon us. Now, there's another scripture that isn't always encouraging, but it's truthful, I believe, because it's in the Word. It says in Exodus 20, verse 5, it says, the sins of the fathers visit to the third and fourth generation. But then it goes on, it says, but I bless to a thousand generations those who love me. So if there's, if you go back in the generational tree, go back, we, we see the progression we see it through um, behaviors of the forefathers, foremothers. If they are into witchcraft, they're into immorality. The choices of that prior generation comes in visitation. But God is a God of justice. And the first man or woman of peace that steps in and says, I declare that I love you, that curse can be broken. And we see that in prayer ministry in um, when you start to look at some of the curses that come down through lines. So the, the result of, of bad choices, but thank God for Jesus and thank God for communion. Thank God that he's a God who is able to forgive us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. Suffering is never good. Number three, suffering is never good in itself, but God is able to use it for good. This is that Romans eight twenty eight that Renee was talking about. Let's take a look at 2 Corinthians seven ten for a minute. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul had just written a, um, a harsh letter to the Corinthians. They were, they were kind of the bad child. We learn a lot from their misbehavior. Verse 8, he says, I'm not sorry that I sent a severe letter to you, though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful for you for a little while. Now I'm glad I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It sounds like a father. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have, so you're not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow, this is the operative, so for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience, I like that, leads us away from sin, and the result is salvation. There's no regret for this kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. So there's this, sometimes, you know, if you're living in a place where you're just paying the price for a bad choice, you might get in that dark, deep hole and look up and say, I don't like this. 
Maybe I need to change my ways. You hear it uh, often from people that are struggling with addiction. I've reached my bottom. I realized there's no upsides to continuing in this process. So, suffering can bring us to a place of, you know, it's the, I get it, right? All right. Uh, God, number three, God works through the suffering. It's not good, but the pain can be a megaphone. No doubt pain as God's megaphone is a terrible instrument. It may lead to a final unrepented rebellion. You could end up telling God, you know what, we're done. But at the same time, it gives us an opportunity for bad men to have an amendment. It removes the veil and plants the flag of truth within the fortress of the rebel soul. Um, I, I've often shared with you, you guys probably could tell me over and over again, when I was in that place where Sarah, sitting in the back there, was, she doesn't remember this, wired up, taped down in Ellis Hospital, being fed intravenously to keep her alive. And I was in a fallen state for sure. I don't believe I was saved at all. I had knowledge of God. Mama did a good job of teaching us knowledge. I'd been, um, been in the Methodist church and confirmed in the Methodist church. I never did an altar call. I don't remember any of that. Um, and I wasn't an atheist, but I was pretty close and agnostic. Hey, God, if you're good, take care of things. Well, he wasn't taking care of things. And when I walked in that, I came off of work from GE. Ginny was working in Schenectady, New York. We met at the hospital. We went up. We had met with the doctor. They had just given us the results of the, 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 they went this way, they went that way, and they came back and said, we have no idea why your daughter cannot digest food. There's, this doesn't make any sense. Now, to me, as a nuclear engineer, that meant science could not fix this problem. So therefore, if my mom's right, then this good God, why is a good God not doing a good thing? So I told them, as Sarah started to cry, and they had taped her down because she had pulled the IV out of her once before, I drove home to Galway, New York, where we were living. It was a secret site I was assigned to during the Cold War. I had a half an hour in the car with God, and I, I blasted him. I cussed him out from one side to the other. I've heard from my mother my whole life that you're a good God. I've heard from my father's lips other things about you in vain. I don't know what this is, but I'll tell you right now, this is the truth. If you heal my daughter, we'll talk. If you don't heal my daughter, I'm done, and I'll never talk to you again. That's the way it's going to be. And then I added some expiratives behind that. Well, he's good with that. I walked right into the scenario of the suffering pain that I couldn't fix. I could pay anything. I had good GE coverage. We'll get her healed and fixed. No, you're not. You are loved by me so much, I'm going to put you in the vice, Tom, and you're going to either have to choose me or not. Now, I didn't know that at the time. I said, God, after she got healed, and through a word of knowledge from a Baptist pastor who had been in gunfights as a hell's angel, which, that's a whole other part of the piece. Why would you use that guy? Anyway, who gives me a word, says, your child's being healed of an intestinal disorder right now. When she got instantly healed, I went in the woods and I said, I don't get it. 
I thought you were good. Why would you do this to my daughter to get my attention? And I answered my own question. Because he's good. And he loves me. And I had a praying mother and I had a praying grandmother said, you've got to get that guy. And God will get you. He can listen to mama's prayers. And so he'll use it for his advantage to get us because he loves us. Suffering can make you more fruitful, Smith Wigglesworth says. If you remember him, he was the plumber. At age 40, got saved. He was the guy that, what a character. If you want to read it, maybe Pastor Mike, when we do our revivalists in a few weeks, we'll, uh, we'll look at him. But suffering is used to make us to be more fruitful. Uh, John 15, let's turn there. You guys are probably familiar with the vine and the branches. But in John 15, 2, Again, this reads nice, but I don't like it when it happens. <laughs> I'm the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. John 15, 1. I'm the grapevine, the true one, and my father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. He prunes the branches that do, not, that do bear fruit so they will produce even more fruit. You've already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. Remain in me, and I'll remain in you. My wife's a gardener. I, I have trouble keeping things alive that way. But she goes out there, and at the, usually in the fall, she goes and she cuts these things. And there was one plant. I, I mean, we spent a lot of money on this plant. She went and hacked that thing. I'm like, you, you just killed that thing. She goes, Tom, look here. See how I cut it on the angle? And I, I did, I'm like, whatever. You know, the next year it came back twice as big. And so God wants more fruit. So sometimes he puts us through a mess to get us to be more fruitful. Can anybody give me a scripture on that one? What are we to com- who are we to comfort and by what authorization do we comfort? Corinthians, right? Paul says, if you've been through this pain, then you can take that pain if, for example, when, when a family comes in and there's a disabled, disabled child and they, they start to explain to me some of the different difficulties of a family life around a disabled, he says, Pastor, you wouldn't really understand. I said, I, I think I do. I think I do. Or the woman who's been through an abortion can speak to a woman who's in the midst of that for reconciliation. Or the death of a loved one. Or someone who's walked through addiction. Some of the most powerful uh, testimonies of those who've been through that is you can get free. I'm free. I'm a testimony of the one who got free. And many of them are sitting in this room right here. So God can use that. He says, so take what you've learned in this outcome through the trial. There's another one here. Uh, Christopher Compton. I, there's another one. 23 years ago, my son Harry died after 36 hours. It was one of these sudden death things. Was, at the time, his death seemed monstrously unfair, and in one sense, undoubtedly it was. With hindsight, I'm quite certain his death was one of the best things that ever happened to me in that it began to, a process of breaking me down so that with God's grace, I could begin to understand how other people felt and how other people suffered. Again, not in any way comforting at the time. C.S. Lewis writes, our temptation would be to say to God, I'm quite happy as I am, please leave me alone. 
that would be what we want God to not love us as much, but to love us less. God uses suffering to bring God's purposes. Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good. Several examples here, we could find so many in the scriptures. How about Joseph? What did he say to his brothers later? There you go. What you, intend, what, what you all intended for evil, God has used for good, right? They sell him into slavery, thrown in the pits, and then he's in the palace and he realizes what God really did from the pit to the prison to the palace. Um, many of that seems like no rhyme, no reason, no pattern, nothing behind it, but behind it all is God's love. Several examples, Joseph, Job, Paul. Paul writes in C there, 4C, it says, I consider our present suffering is not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. All eternity. See, if we really believe that God is all-powerful and all-loving, as John tells us, he's God, God is love, and he has all eternity to pay us back, if for any reason, he would owe us anything <laughs> anyway. But he sees the injustice that was done to us. Then he's the God who can make it all right throughout eternity. That ought to be comforting. Instead of, and most of it probably is because we humans, we look so finitely at everything. We've put a boundary around this. You need to fix this now. No, I don't. I can fix it whenever I want to fix it. And I'll fix it good. Can you trust me in the fixing? Yeah. All eternity. Take a long-term view of not the short-term, self-gratification position. This is not pie in the sky when you die, as this theologian Alistair McGrath points out in his book on suffering. Is it true? If the Christian's hope of heaven is an illusion based upon lies then it must be dismissed as misleading and deceitful. But if it is true, it must be embraced and allowed to transform our entire understanding of the place of suffering in our lives. Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he's the Lord of your life. We know he's the Lord, so we need to trust him. Is God involved in our suffering? Is he there with us? There's no simple definitive answer as to the why of suffering. Instead, God is a God who suffers along with us. Take the analogy of your child. When your child is going through suffering, are you suffering with them? Boy, you are. And he's a lot better at this being parenting than we are. And so he's there in the midst of it. And it may be because your child made a bad decision. It may be because somebody else hurt your child and they're going through the consequences of that, whether that's sexual abuse or physical abuse. You're still suffering with it. And it's not fair and it's unjust and I suffer with you. But God does the same thing. John Stott, um, I like this, he says, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. God is a God that is not immune to suffering. God was crucified, Christ reconciling the world to himself. 
you guys probably know, Johnny Erickson Tata. She had that diving accident, paraplegic. She still has this tremendous ministry, right? And so she, instead of allowing herself to become bitter, she used it to be a witness and a testimony to the sovereignty of God. So knowing that suffering, that his suffering removes the suffering in the suffering, so we're not alone. This play, I don't know if you've ever, but, but I like the analogy of it, so let's just, it I think demonstrates the point. The long silence. At the end of time, billions of people were scattered on a great plain before God's throne. Most shrank back from the brilliant light before them, but some groups near the front talked heatedly, not with cringing shame, but with belligerence. Can God judge us? How can he know anything about suffering, snapped a young brunette. She ripped open a sleeve to reveal the tattooed number of the Nazi concentration camp. We endured terror, beating, torture, death. In another crowd, a pregnant schoolgirl with sullen eyes. Why should I suffer, she murmured. It's not my fault. Far out across the plain were hundreds of such groups. Each had a complaint against God for the evil suffering he permitted in this world. How lucky God was to live in heaven where all this sweetness and light, where there's no weeping or fear, no hunger, no hatred. Why did God, what did God know about the man had been forced to endure in this world? For God leads a pretty sheltered life, they said. So each of these groups set forth their leader, chosen was the most, a Jew, a young black man, a person from Hiroshima, a horribly deformed arthritic, whatever that is, the lie mother of the child. Anyway, the one who, that was the one who took drugs, right? Mom who'd been, yeah, gave birth to a child in drugs. The center of the, that was the love, love generation. The center of the plane, they consulted with each other. At last, they were ready to present their case. It was rather clever. Before God, could be qualified to be their judge. He must endure what they had endured. Their decision was that God would be sentenced to live on earth as a man. Let him become a Jew. Let the legitimacy of his birth be doubted. Give him a work so difficult that even his, clo- his family and friends would think he's out of his mind as he tries to do it. Let him be betrayed by his closest friends. Let him face false charges, be tried by a prejudge, prejudicious judge. <laughs> Convicted by a cowardly judge, let him be tortured. At last, let him see what I, what I, by my means of terribly alone, then let him die. Let him die so that there's no doubt that he died. Let there be a great host of witnesses to verify it. As each leader announced his portion of the sentence, loud murmurs of approval went up from the throng of people assembled. When the last had finished pronouncing sentence, There was a long silence. No one uttered another word. No one moved. Suddenly, all knew that God had already served his sentence. The knowledge of his suffering removes what Jürgen Moltmann has called the suffering in the suffering. We're not alone in our pain. When we suffer, he suffers with us. Let me um, just stop here for a minute. I believe part of the reason we might judge God and question his goodness is part of one, there's some identity issues that are going on in here. Am I really a child of God? And then the truth of who he is. Put it another way, there may be some daddy issues going on and there may be some self-identity issues going on. 
that either the world or the way you processed your hurt or the way you were reared, the things that occurred, have twisted and caused us not to believe the full truth. And the more we recognize how big he is and who we are in him, the freer we get and the greater the trust. So if you've got some daddy issues going on and some identity issues, go to God on those. Just let him work those processes. Do the journaling time of that. Get the scriptures. Meditate on those things. How we respond to suffering is the key. Will we not always be able to work out why we are suffering? No. Job didn't know. But remember what happened to Job. Remember the statement he made? Though God slay me, yet will I trust him. Even after everything, lost his kids, lost his wealth, lost his health, and even the woman that God gave him said, Job, you're in such bad shape, curse God and die. I can't stand it anymore, basically is what she's saying. And her, his response, pushed to that limit, he, tell, he says, even if he slays me, I will trust him. Wow. Because you know the rest of the Paul Harvey on that one, right? Gets everything back twice. Some questions that you might ask when you're in the midst of the suffering. These are things that I do. Lord, did I mess up here? (laughs) Am I in the woodshed because I have consequences to choices I've made? Have I opened doors that I need to close? Because if that's true, then I know the answer. 1 John 1, 9 says, confess my sins to him. He's faithful to forgive me from all unrighteousness. Now, I may still face the consequences, right? I know that um, people struggle with felonies. Sometimes it's hard to get a job. But I also know those who have trusted God, God opens doors in ways that like, how in the heck did that happen, right? And so step one would be, tell me I'm suffering right now. I want to put it through the screen. Did I do something here that I need to have you bring revelation? I need to make that right. What is God saying to me about this? What, what, am I, are you trying to teach me something? Are you equipping me for something? Uh, Pat called me this week. It was, there were a number of the staff that went through a bunch of stuff this week. And uh, Pat called me, didn't know anything about what was going on. She goes, man, did you see Joel Olstein this morning? I said, no, I didn't. This was at before 7 in the morning, right? <laughs> I said, Pat. She goes, says it's like the big push. God's getting us ready. It's like when you're in labor. I said, I've seen that. I've not experienced it. I've seen that a number of times. Uh, it's, it's painful and messy, but man, it's awesome when it's done. She goes, that's it. And so God may be putting us through some stuff because he's getting us ready for something. One of our families, uh, Vince Ferrante's uh, and Christy's son has been going through Air Force SEAL training, the equivalent of SEAL training. I can't even, some, he came home on break and he was telling me about some of the things they got him doing. Um, like 11 miles carrying an over 100 pound pack, I think he told me. 11 miles carrying, now they worked up to it. First they went three miles, with, I forget the exact numbers, we'll get the concept. Three miles with 40 pounds, 80 pounds, 11 miles with a 100 plus pound pack. Just think about that for a minute. 120 pounds, there you go. And they were equipping them to be able to carry a a wounded soldier out of the combat zone. But it was a working up. It wasn't, you know, go from A to Z. It was work up to it. 
God says, if I, since God knows your life and exactly where you're going to be and what circumstances, he's going to make preparation because he's a good father. He's going to put us through carrying the 120-pound pack 11 miles because I need you to do something for me. I got a plan for you. But in the midst of carrying the 120-pound pack 11 miles, this can't be good from God. Again, this preach is real good, but I'm preaching to Tom right now. So remember, why is this suffering, God? What are you trying to show me? And then, God, what do you want me to do? What, what, is there something I need to do about this? When the example of the three Jewish boys that would refuse to bow, they had made a determination in their heart they would not compromise the decision to not compromise cost them the place where then you'll suffer loss. And they had a choice to be put in the furnace. And we know God shows up in the furnace. <laughs> and then it results in a whole nation getting turned right around, right? So God's got a good plan. We just, we're looking at the furnace and it's pretty hot. It's like, wow, I don't, I don't know what you're doing here, Lord. It's the Nepal story. One day we will be in heaven and these Nepali believers will come up to us and they will say, I'm here because of the people in Wilmington, North Carolina who gave. That's why I'm here. And the ones that were foreshadows of those who died in the earthquake, who've already been there celebrating before we got there. Terry and I have talked about this a couple of times. Those who have gone to heaven, many of them don't want to come back. Okay, we'll, we'll land this thing. Um, focus on the cross and hold on to hope. Life is a mixture of battles and blessing. Keep your eyes on Jesus, Hebrews 12, 12 2. Show compassion to others in the suffering. Do not be judgmental. Not all is due to sin on the, of the individual. Resist the suffering. It was not God's desire in the beginning, beginning. So what can we do? We feed the hungry, we heal the sick, we cast out demons, and we raise the dead. Do what you can. Come tomorrow morning to House of Mercy and see what God's doing. There are those that come in, and it's just awesome. Focus on the cross. Why a God of love allows suffering? We see the results of human freedom. Sin put Jesus on the cross. We see God dealing with the results of man's abuse of freedom. We see God working through the suffering. Those who nailed Jesus to the cross intended it for evil. God saved the world. And God will more than compensate for the suffering. Jesus who for the joy, I think Renee said this one, Jesus, or somebody did, Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross and God himself suffers with us. I don't know, I don't really understand that scripture. Why did Jesus have to suffer? He learned obedience by the things he suffered. That one is one of those, <coughs> it did qualify him. As we read there before, his suffering when when we get there and somebody tries to accuse Jesus of you don't understand what it's like to deal with this temptation and this says he was tempted in all ways like us and yet didn't sin. So 
we have an advocate. And so when this stuff going on, I wonder if Jesus, our advocate, the Holy Spirit who's interceding for us and Jesus interceding in heaven, when there's this judgment that wants to be passed on us, Jesus said, uh, wait a minute, excuse me. I understand what it's like to be tempted into this. And I know what it is to suffer like this. Uh, no, that's not what they deserve. So let's stand and... Sure, Mom. I'm not an expert on this, but uh, how to respond to suffering is a key, in a key. I had gone through that. I was not hearing from God. I felt very dry. I was going through something. So I went before him and I said, I was just suffering because I've done something wrong. And I was really painful, but I was in a Baptist church and that pastor was very much alive in the spirit. And he said, I want you to, it was a Wednesday night, and we were in this old barn where, it was an old tobacco barn at this church. But he said, I want you to go to a corner in this barn and get before the Lord and see what's going on in your heart. And I, of course, went expecting to get a condemnation or a slap on the face or something. I didn't know what was going on, why I was going through this dry spell. And... Um, when I got in the corner, I said, Lord, what, what's going on? He said, I have your tears in my bottle. And I found that scripture later. And I realized he was identifying with where I was going from, what I was coming from. And it was okay. So I took that. I just broke down crying in the corner. <laughs> it was amazing because I really felt that he had my tears in his bottle. That's good. We walked through the Valley of Baca, weeping. Make it a spring, right? All right, well, let's stand. And, and um, I know much of the body of Christ is going through a lot. Um, and it's, it's, we also know prophetically, Jesus told us three times, I shared this briefly last Sunday, he told us it's going to wax worse and worse. And unless he shortened the time, even the very elect might get deceived. Now, I don't know where that is in God's timetable of tribulation, post-trib, mid-trib, we're out of here, not out of here, who's here? Hey, all I know is he's the God of heaven's army. I read 14 chapters of Zechariah Sunday, and over and over again, I mean, he says, God of heaven's armies. You are in God's army. Therefore, you're going to have to carry the pack in some of these areas to prepare us for what we got to carry later. You have signed on the dotted line. You have already signed into the army. You are in. Therefore, he's in charge. Now, that's not always comforting, but it is at least um, truth that he can tell us what he wants us to do. And we ought to just say, yes, God, and be obedient and do like Jesus modeled for us. He did what he saw the Father doing. So, Lord, I pray right now, Father, that we would be able to walk, walk through and work through any of the identity issues, any of the daddy issues, any of the places where we've judged you, not understanding why you allow things to happen. We don't see the full picture, but we know that you are good. And therefore, I'm asking you to release over this body the gift of faith, that when those guys came here with the power team and 
there was this impartation of faith that we would move into a place that by faith we have already apprehended. That we don't have to have all the answers. We don't tell our young children some of the things that they don't need to know right now. We just tell them to listen. So Lord, I pray that we would get the concept of this kingdom and the fatherhood of God in such a place that we become a people that trust you even in the midst of the storms. And that when we come out on the other side, you'll have equipped us to face the giants. And we thank you for it now in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Next week, we're going to start on the tabernacle. Pastor Michael Thornton and Amber, we're going to have three Wednesday nights on the tabernacle. And then in the fourth Wednesday, yeah, the fourth Wednesday, we're going to have a teaching on um, the tabernacle of God. We're going to actually have it set up in here as the tabernacle. So praise God. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Uh, See you next week.